This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Welcome, global leaders, to the Global Reach Leadership Forum with Navy veteran, ecclesial leader, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Pat. Presenting you with critical leadership perspectives from the minds of former military leaders, now transforming the face of American business as successful entrepreneurs. Get ready to listen, learn, to lead, and now to enhance your leadership influence on the Global Reach Leadership Forum. Here's your host, Dr. Pat. Welcome to the Global Reach Leadership Forum. I'm your host, Dr. Pat. And today we're talking about resilience. Resilience as a leader. Resilience, that is a fundamental leadership principle that leaders apply to excel in their leadership. So what is resilience anyway? And why resilience? Is it a mindset? Is it a way of life? Is it just the ability to bounce back better? Is it just a thought? Well, let's examine that today. And before my guest comes, I'd like to give you my take on what I believe resilience is. So you might ask a question, what can I do to be resilient once you understand what resilience is? And certainly resilience is not a a switch you can just turn on or off, or or maybe just a, a, a thing you can just do today and then move about your daily life tomorrow. Resilience is, 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 is not just like a smile. Resilience is a factor of your mental state, your attitude, or your convictions based on the knowledge of your circumstances. Now, There are several ways to build resilience, exercise resilience, and stay resilient. However, what you could do to stay resilient is to practice a series of mental exercises that strengthen your mind. Well, you could, I mean, you could do that in different ways if you want to, but there are several strategies that you as a leader need to be able to learn and adapt to. And, um, and some of those, you know, who are resilient really are those who have endured all kinds of challenges, right? Challenges that make them excel. Challenges that you as a leader can understand and hold on to so that you are not going to be broken and tormented under the pressure and the rigor of time. In fact, most of those in the past who were resilient did so because they refused to succumb to the pressures of circumstances that were beyond their control. Now, they determined not to allow whatever they were enduring become the center of your focus that would lead to the implosion. Now, when you consider how one can be resilient, you as a leader, you are essentially 
asking how one can overcome one's own mind with the challenges that one faces. So to that end, I would like to think that one that is resilient is one that is made of stinner stuff. Yes. The mind of a leader is not only resilient to harsh and undue criticism, but one that is also prone to endurance. The ability to withstand the challenges that life throws at us as leaders, either personally or as an entrepreneur, only prepares us for the battle that we must fight to overcome. You know, as, as a young entrepreneur, I, I, I remember being determined to succeed. And there were times that I felt I was in a mental battle all by myself, all alone, trying to stay motivated, trying to stay driven, trying to stay committed to the cause because I did not want to fail, even though failure is part of success. But you know, one thing that I can think of and that I remember right now and what I'm grateful for is that I often felt that only I understood the vision and upheld the values of my organization and that the rest of my team members did not have any clue what was going on as I endured sleepless nights. But today I can say that I've withstood the test of time and I'm fighting strong and holding on despite all the challenges that I might face. I had to endure the financial strain and, and ambivalence and critiques of clientele. You have to be made of stinner stuff to be prepared for the plethora of challenges that may come with organizational leadership or entrepreneurship. You should condition your mind to desire success amidst all odds so that someday when the going gets tough, you, you, because you're made of stinner stuff, can also get going. And so right now, before my guest comes, I'd like to take a break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Hello, this is uh, our Global Reach our Leadership Forum. And today, my guest here today is my good friend, Marty, Marty Strong. And Marty is an accomplished combat decorated Navy SEAL, and uh, in, both in the commercial and off, obviously in the military as well. He's a business personality. Um, after leaving military service, uh, Marty spent about seven years as a successful investment advisor focused on high net worth clients. Ending his final phase of this career in the United Bank of Switzerland, uh, he also transitioned into business management as a senior vice president for a billion-dollar-a-year defense contracting company. And in 2009, he joined a small, early-stage growth company in the same industry as an equity partner. Since then, Marty has uh, led two employee-owned healthcare startups as CEO, chief strategy officer, and board director. He's a popular podcast personality and has conducted hundreds of stimulating interviews in large metro radio markets across the United States. Oh, by the way, he is an author of the Be Nimble, Be Nimble, How the Navy SEAL Mindset Wins on the Battlefield and in Business, and is currently working on his next book, Be Visionary, Strategic Leadership in the Age of Optimization. Welcome to the Global Reach Leadership Forum, my good friend, Marty. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing all right. I feel like I should apologize for that really long intro. Like that. No, that was great. I tell you what, uh, it's actually shorter than uh, most that I have uh, I've, uh, read, but I like to read this because what it does is it gives people an understanding of who it is, the credibility of the person, the person, how they as leaders can have an impact on whatever we are talking about. So it's important that uh, we read everything about you. Well, I tell you, Marty, I am so excited to be here with, the, uh, with you because I know you're an accomplished leader. You have great things to offer. But more importantly, you 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 are a man of uh, integrity. Um, your history in the uh, special forces and the in the military, and then your current uh, role as somebody who's adding value to leaders across the business sector, I think will add dividends to those who listen to you um, or watch you um, in any capacity. So today we're talking about resilience. Resilience is uh, near and dear to my heart because I believe that leaders have to be able to be resilient in everything they do. But resilience and endurance and leadership, uh, I think they're not the same, you know? And um, how different are they in leadership? And what is your definition of resilience uh, as opposed to, um, you know, endurance? And how did you demonstrate that in the military career uh, when you were in the Navy? Sure. Well, resilience is is the ability to bounce back, the ability to recover from, I guess, some kind of a, a setback. It could be a physical setback, it could be a, a psychological, emotional, mental setback. It doesn't have to be leadership oriented, it doesn't have to be business oriented. Uh, it could be a divorce. It could be, uh, like in my case, I, I lost my oldest son. It could be something totally unrelated to um, what people normally run into. Mm-hmm. I tend to see a lot more of the expression or lack of, of an expression of resilience in business and in leadership these days, because that's what I'm, I'm doing. But in uh, SEAL teams, both resilience and endurance are required. Mm-hmm. Uh, the resilience is part of the screening process. Th- that's not something that, you know, there's nobody out there uh, teaching resilience to teenagers in preparation to go through the SEAL course. Mm-hmm. So what we end up with is a bunch of young individuals that have to demonstrate resiliency. Uh, there's endurance, there's physical endurance, but the, the part that's more critical in the screening process for a SEAL. And I would say it has a lot to do with the screening process of all the elite units in the U.S. military and overseas, is the the concept of placing a student into a situation where they have failed, maybe for the first time, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if they're very accomplished athletes or they think they're very very intelligent. Um, You have to have a high uh, IQ to get into the the SEAL teams to start with. And suddenly you, you failed or you have a setback. Or you're the reason why your team failed. Wow. And whether you know it or not, that's all orchestrated. That's all part of the environment, the context of the course to elicit a response. And that response is either you dwell and wallow and start to uh, go into self-pity and excuse making. And eventually you come up with a reason why it has nothing to do with you or your behavior. It's the world's fault. And that usually leads to somebody just quitting the course or you reach down inside and you realize you find this thing that, that, that the Navy didn't give you by training you to do it. It's something that happened through life up to that point. But you find a, a button or a switch or a place in your, in your mind where you say, okay, that happened. Got it. Move on. And I'm going to attack the next problem maybe a little bit differently, but with no less enthusiasm. And that's, that's actually one of the core 
traits screened by special operators. Wow. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's very, um, it's profound because I think they put you through a rigor of understanding who you are and then the best has to come out of you, right? And sometimes even the worst, if that's the case. But I think that's what uh, the uh, SEAL teams does for you from what you're you're saying. So, so based on that, then, how do you think we can relate that to the business sector? Because I would think that that kind of mindset and um, and rigor should also be applied in the business sector if you're going to be successful. So do you think there's a difference then between resilience in the SEAL teams uh, as you practice there as a leader and resilience now in the private sector and what uh, you do right now for uh, for business? Purely focused on the business context, it's hugely important and, and valuable, mm. you know, the whole topic of resilience, if you're starting a company. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's almost like the same contextual screening dilemmas and challenges we would set up in a SEAL course to let kind of nature, you know, follow its course and see whether somebody's going to stick around um, or bounce back. Mm -hmm. And any small business owner would know, anybody listening to this has ever been in a small business would probably also know through observation that there are a lot of very steep and sharp ups and downs, especially in the early stages of a small business. Mm. Even, even businesses that have been successful for a couple of years and are trying to move into the next level to kind of scale and, and move to another stage of, of size and, and market, um, I guess, market presence. That's another challenge. That's a different challenge. It's not the same, but it's just as hard because yeah. you, may have, you may have succeeded getting over the initial hurdles and you mm -hmm. feel like you're somewhat successful. And now you want to do that one more thing and you fall on your face, you start flopping and you're right back into that self-doubt, <laughs> pity, all that. So that is a, that is a major part of the psychology of a small business owner and anybody that's in, in a leadership capacity. And sometimes just the supporting cast in a small business, they're all kind of, a, you know, they're all, um, they're all kind of attached to the psychological hip there. They're all, feeding off each other. Things are great. All of a sudden things are terrible. They're scared. They're joyful. Um, lots and lots and lots of big ups and downs. When you get into bigger businesses, I think I see it more in actual accountable leaders mm. and less, less so in, in, in straight, you know, basic management. Mm -hmm. If a manager knows his job's at, at stake based on his performance, there's a certain level of concern. And and that's that's you know credible. But if you're the accountable person in charge of a department or a division or a, a subsidiary company or something, and they've given you the keys, they've given you the authority to hire, fire, to uh, give people raises, to promote, and a set of metrics to pursue, and they go, you're the leader, go. Well, you're almost psychologically in the same place as that small business startup because it's all on you, at least you think it is. And that, that's when resilience has to be a component of your success. If it's not, because everybody's going to fail. Everybody fails. That's part of the theme of my book, Be Nimble, is you have to wake up the next morning and get rid of all the, the baggage related to failure and also all the baggage related to success. It doesn't matter if yesterday you, you got a medal from running a marathon or you got a bonus for a great sale. Yeah. What are you going to do going forward? And that extra psychological baggage in the other case, will either set you up to be uh, concerned and maybe even depressed, or it'll set you up to be arrogant. 
And in both cases, you're probably not being objective and open-minded. So you have to have that ability to bounce back at all these different levels of business. But mostly the person that's in charge and accountable will feel that the most. Wow. That is so true. And I'm glad you mentioned how the, the burden of that resilience rests on the leader um, of a team or organization or whatever. But, but, but then, you know, that leads me to think of this, that the pressure or the value of resist, resilience has to not only just rest with the leader, but also has to trickle down to, to the team members. So how do you foster you know, uh, this kind of resilience with the team, because without that, I mean, the, the leader can be resilient all they want, but then there has to be a way to culture, you know, cultivate that, nurture that with the team. Well, what do you think is the best strategy to try to bring that to the team? It's very difficult. It's difficult to do it with the leader that has all the accountability. Yeah. Unlike the, well, I'm not aware of very many commercial entities that do a screening process, like say the SEALs or the screen yeah. raised before they put somebody in charge and mm -hmm. give them the accountability or the authority and all those things and the accountability, which means they're already starting. And it could be one of the, you know, 75% of every SEAL training class quits. They usually start with about 125, 75% wow. quit. So if you're going to do that, then you'd have to go through a lot of candidates yes. for every single solitary, you know, company leadership position. So yeah. you have to assume that you're starting with somebody that's probably not, they're not screened for resilience. Mm. They may not even understand how it plays a part in what they're doing every day. So until you tell them and explain it to them, they won't even realize it's something they should try to work down the um, leadership chain below them and the uh, structure. The other thing is you talked about the difference between resilience and endurance. So endurance is what most of the non-accountable people in an organization are practicing. Yeah. They're, they're trying to survive. <laughs> They're trying to survive that leader. They're trying to survive. They've been through four. You know, you're just number five. So they're not really thinking the same way about bouncing back and all that. They're saying, I'm going to hold down, keep my job, not get fired. Maybe I'll get a pay raise. And uh, maybe I'll, maybe this, this leader is a great leader and things would be great. But more likely than not, my job is job security and make sure that I don't lose this job. And that's, that's an endurance objective, right? So if you have a leader that doesn't push every failure down and make kind of make it a, a psychological negative impact on everybody below them in the organization, mm -hmm. and instead sits down with everybody and say, I have a concept in the book I call the 85% rule. You know, nobody ever gets to 100%. Perfection is an objective, but it's it's almost never reached. And in business, especially today, with all the dynamic um influences of technology and speed of communications and and as, as um, um, Bill Gates you know called his book the speed of business at the speed of thought mm -hmm. in that kind of environment you're not going to ever reach 100% perfection whatever plan you've laid out there especially if it's a longer duration plan you will have to change and adjust and maybe even scrap it because the world's not going to just stand by and let you just execute what you want to execute the world's going to it's like you know, you've got a boat, you put a sail on it, get ready to launch, and here comes a hurricane. You know, what are you going to do? Get on the boat and just keep on going with your plan? So if you kind of cultivate below you an atmosphere, a culture of caring about the outcome, working hard as a team, but also understanding that your boss isn't going to come down headhunting every time there's a failure to meet an objective. 
What that boss is going to do is take on their responsibility, their accountability for the failure, and focus on evaluating what happened, mm-hmm. what can we learn from it, and how can we move forward. And by that, that definition of those three things is how a resilient person responds to adversity. Okay. Wow. Wow. That that's that's uh <laughs> that's that's awesome. You know, uh, so as 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 you state that, I'm thinking then that there's probably like maybe one particular you know, thing that kind of sticks to your mind, you know, and your, with your experience and, you know, in the special forces as an Navy SEAL, uh, what, is that one that can, you can probably give an example of, of how that particular um, skill strategy helps you or did help you in your private practice today? Because I think we can all learn from that, uh, whether you are at, at the accountable level as a leader or you are part of the team and not really the accountable person. Uh, but you're just enduring. Is that one particular skill that comes to mind that you probably share with us about how to stay resilient? Well, I'll tell you that when I first left the service, a lot of culture shock, I joined when I was 17 mm-hmm. and I had zero interface with the commercial world really during those 20 years I was in, in the SEALs. Wow. And I came out and pretty quickly I realized that the people I was working around and this isn't abnormal or, or this isn't a negative dig on, on these people, but they weren't there for each other. Mm. They were there, as I said before, to you know, make sure that they kept their job, to pay their bills. The, the people that were in charge were there to make sure um, everybody was doing their job and their main focus was not getting in trouble for the person they worked for. And there was a lot of uh, risk mitigation and defensive behaviors and protective behaviors, where in the SEAL teams, everybody basically piled on trying to uh, problem solve, regardless of your rank. You tested things out, you you practiced and rehearsed things, and if they didn't work out, they didn't work out. And then you would go to execute your plan, and then kind of like in my boat example, you know, Murphy or Mother Nature or something yeah. would intervene, and you had to change the plan there. And there was no um, finger pointing by the leaders down or the, or the followers up. You, you basically stopped, you sat down. I mean, I did a combat mission where we had to change things. And I grabbed a bunch of, of rocks from a gravel road and book pulled everybody around me. And I laid it out like it was a backyard football play wow. because we didn't have any time to change anything. And there was a helicopter sitting there ready to take us. Mm-hmm. And everybody was okay with that. They went with the flow. That wasn't the case in my first, my first uh, job in uh, the private sector. And I didn't really try to change that environment. I, I wasn't a leader. I was a, an investment person. I, I was supposed to go look for clients and, and focus on clients. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, where I got to exercise that was with those clients. Mm. Wow. Clients, my, my investment clients, and again, I, I had no idea. I'm, I'm a risk taker. Um, a lot of things just kind of roll off my back um, because of all the experiences I've had. Mm-hmm. But I had people that if if a television show said the market's in trouble, my phone would be ringing off the hook. And I was talking to people off the ledge all day long. <laughs> Some of these people were 20 years older than me that were multimillionaires and really accomplished, and, but they sounded scared on the phone. Yeah. And I would get them in and I would sit them down and I would have this, this conversation with them. And I found that over time, one of the things that was causing me to retain my clients and actually attract referrals from those clients was this bedside manner in stressful situations by the market. Mm -hmm. Most people are terrified of of what happens with their money. They may be bold initially, 
they come in and they put the money down and say, you know, I want to put it all on black 13 and that's how, you know, but as soon as that stock goes down a little bit or somebody says something negative on the TV about that stock, they come running in going, what have I done? So that was my first, that was my first shot at essentially training my clients to be resilient. Mm -hmm. I created um, individual investment plans and I said, we're going to go by the plan and we'll adopt the plan when we have to. But every time you see something scary or think something scary, I want you to pull this plan out and look at it. It's not a plan that's going to be done in five days or one year. This is a four-year plan. And then if they called me, I'd say, okay, I'm going to pull your plan out right now. And I'd pull the plan out and they'd all calm down. Now, that's how I handled it when I wasn't in charge. In later years, when I started to get leadership positions, even if I wasn't the top leader, I would do what I mentioned earlier. I would yes. pull my team together and coach them on how to understand, experience, and push past uh, some kind of a shortfall or an event or something that was bringing them down. And I would do that until the day I wasn't with that group. And I, I've, do, I've done that for 25 years, every place I've ever worked. Wow, that 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 is profound. That's a it's a great strategy, you know, to apply. You know, I think it, it kind of relates to having understanding your why, right? That it's a marathon and not just you know one of those uh, short uh, short runs. So so with that said, I know that um, in your line of work, uh, past uh, military life, and also right now, you mentioned being a risk taker. You also mentioned um, having a setback uh, with uh, your son there, but that made you more resilient. Um, so in essence, you could probably teach us a thing or two about resilience and why having a setback can actually set you up for a comeback, right? In, in essence. So what would you say is essential for a budding entrepreneur or, you know, a transition military leader who really wants to get into the private sector, but then they encounter a setback, you know? What's your recommendation to them to to focus on for that comeback they need to excel as a, as a transitioning military leader or an entrepreneur? So I believe that every setback is a training session. Mm. It's the universe coaching you, or at yeah. least giving you an opportunity to derive some coaching benefit if you yeah. see it for what it is. Back to what I said earlier, it's like a mini version of SEAL training, something that, that the government spends all this time to contrive this little scenario, and then we run the students through it, and then we wait to see how they react psychologically to the, to the problems. We, we, we let them start to win, and then we make them fail. Yeah. We make them think they've won, and then we make them fail. And in some cases, we actually let them win, and then we take away the prize, and we punish oh, them. Oh, wow. and, and so psychologically, you say, well, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. You know, my life was based on fairness. Everybody should be fair to me. The world should be fair to me. Well, I guarantee you, when your little rowboat's ready to go and the hurricane hits it, that's not fair. There's things you can't control. When it comes to the um, the exit of military professionals, <laughs> I I kind of deviate, not kind of, I do deviate from a lot of the, the it's not necessarily hand-holding, but the consulting that goes on, both official within the services, and there's some some programs set up outside the services to try to help adjust and, mm -hmm. and help, help everybody kind of segue, right? Mm -hmm. The reality is, and back to what I said before, I, I call this um, fast forward, fast forward concept. When you're watching or you want to watch your favorite show, now we can DVR this, this thing. 
Now, why do we DVR? Well, one is because we weren't there in, in real time to be able to watch, but the other isn't, so you get past all those commercials. Mm-hmm. Because we don't think the commercials hold value for us. Our time's too, too important. So we get rid of all the stuff we don't want to you know, look at, and we just look at the stuff that has value. So I've got a fast forward leadership concept. If you're a leader, but it works in life too. And it goes like this. If you step out on the street and yesterday you were a lieutenant commander, major, or lieutenant colonel, whatever you were, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to the universe. It doesn't matter to the world. You can go up and start ordering a sparrow in the park to do things. They're not going to listen. That, that, that bird's not going to listen to you. All that is all in the past. Mm-hmm. And your self-esteem and your ego and your sense of value and worth in the universe has to be decoupled from that mm. because you need to create a new sense of worth. That's right. Now, that's not the same as jettisoning all the tools and the value of all the experiences that you've accumulated through either education or life experiences. But what I found, and I, I did a speech or presentation to about 40 um, Naval Academy alumni couple of years ago. And I had a conversation just like this mm-hmm. with one of the people associated with the alumni. And he was stunned that I was doing this kind of scared, straight, tough talk instead of <laughs> coming up reality. With, I think I have a great link for a better resume that spins <laughs> your, the fact that you were a, um, you know, a, a predator B drone pilot. And I'll, I'll turn that into you becoming a top sales manager or a supply yeah. chain management expert. And, and when I explained it to him, he said, could you possibly talk to my group? So I went up there and I said what I was going to say. And when I was done, there was a line of 25 people that wanted to talk to me. And most of them that wanted to talk to me wanted to tell me that they were in the fourth or fifth year after leaving the service. And they had suffered everything I, I had talked about. Yeah. They started out thinking they were going to get a, a peer level position. They were going to have people assigned to them. They're going to get a corner office. They're going to basically... You know, there is no lateral movement in the military. It's either upward or out, right? Especially mm-hmm. in the yeah. yeah. And that's not what the world looked like. And it took them a year or two struggling, fighting against that before they finally realized they had to do what I suggested. And what I suggested was you have to humble yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to take an inventory of what you can do. And a lot of it won't convey. And the reason it won't convey is you don't have any credibility outside yes. of the uniform. True. So I suggested people apprentice, that people go in and, and accept a lower level job. You want to run a restaurant? You want to own a restaurant? Go in and work in a restaurant. Go and work in two restaurants. Watch, take notes, become an expert in, in restaurant operations before you decide you're just going to go out and, and, and either run one or whether you're going to own one. Same thing with any other profession you can think of. Everybody's looking for smart people and and dedicated people. Most military people are very, very dedicated, focused. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a high sense of responsibility. Yeah. You walk in there and say, this is what I want to do. Um, I know somebody here in town right now that's uh, working on, uh, I think he wants to do something to do with timber and all this other stuff. He's actually walked in, apprenticed. He's going to Texas to do this. Mm-hmm. He's getting out of uniform and he's going to Texas to create a company to do this thing. And he's been apprenticed for the last 12 months with somebody who's doing this for a living. So they're not a, he's not a threat to them locally. Yeah. Yeah. But he's in there working. He'll do anything. He'll wash, he'll paint, he'll drive trucks. He wants to know everything from the ground up. That's the approach. Yes. The other thing I would, I asked that group in, in the Naval Academy discussion by a show of hands and, you know, they didn't know where I was leading with this, but how long does it take to get a 
college degree in any particular subject, undergraduate? How long does it take to get a law degree? How long does it take to get an engineering degree? And as they were answering the questions and everything, I said, okay, so why couldn't you just retire and go to college for three years and become a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer? Why wouldn't you do that at your age? Because it's beneath you. You know, and a lot of people were just kind of staring at me. I said, you know, do you, it's three years. You just did 20 plus years, you know, doing this other thing. You started out, everybody starts out at the bottom in the military. And then they end up at the end and they think, okay, I'm going to come out and I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to achieve the equivalent of whatever the next rank was in pay and prestige and all that. That's not the way the real world works. So that's what I do. That's, that's what I say. That's my mantra. Um, you've got, you get into an organization, you work your way up. And then once everybody understands what you can contribute and you understand how to contribute all this other stuff that you picked up in the military, the fact you show up on time, that you're yes. polite, that you're honest, you have integrity, you know, you're tenacious, you follow direction and orders well, you're trainable, all that kicks into gear in a big way. And then you become a big mover and shaker in that organization. It just may take two years. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that, is, that, that is so true. I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that with us because people always make the assumption. That is why we, you know, we do this podcast, right? To talk about the fundamental base principles that we need as leaders, which we all have, but we need to rehearse so that when you transition out, you know that, hey, guess what? I have this as a basis, but I got to build upon that. But you know what? Unfortunately, though, there are so many organizations that don't take what you just said to heart. They get out of the service and they want to be you know, CEO of some company, which is great. That's fine. But the, the, the Small Business Administration says that about half have 50% of small businesses that start their uh, business within five years are psh, gone, right? They cannot be resilient. They, they can't stand, uh, you know, the time and, and, the, and the pain that goes, or the humility that it takes, like you described, to be able to sustain it. So my, my, my question then is, with your experience, having gone through it all, you've been in the private sector, you've been in the military, you, I mean, you've done it, you're still doing it. What kind of advice are you going to give to, you know, uh, a young budding entrepreneur on the pitfalls of just succumbing to resilience? Because you don't want them to die after five years. What kind of advice would you give them to sustain, to endure and, and, and to be resilient so that they don't fall off the, uh, the planet after that five year period? The, the number one observation of anybody watching a bunch of SEALs doing their day-to-day stuff and interacting with each other mm-hmm. is that it almost seems like you're visiting a comedy store. Really? That's whether they're in early basic training or at any phase in their, in their career. Humor is a great way to diffuse stress. <laughs> I like that. It's also a great way to become humble again. Mm-hmm. You know, if that hurricane's coming towards your boat, you can either scream and yell and everything, or if you look at the boat, shake your head and, and just laugh. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of funny, you know, you've got yeah. this little boat, you worked on it, and there's this huge storm coming, and it can be funny if you let it be funny. Yeah. I think you have to have a sense of humor, because a sense of humor also gets you off the hook. You don't keep spiraling down into this expectation of perfection. Being humble. You know what you know, you get burned, you, you screw up, you do something. I mean... A couple months ago, I got asked to do a virtual uh, speech, 
and they wanted to buy 200 of my of my uh, Be Nimble book as yeah. a corporation. And they said, well, how much is this going to cost? And everything? And I went, Bleh. yeah. And then after I did the math later, I went, dang, because I was going to eat all the tra- all the shipping and handling. Exactly. Costs, I hadn't thought it through. Yeah. And I've been in business for 25 years. <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes. Yes. And so when you make a mistake, learn from it. But the next day when you wake up, it's kind of back to that fast forward thing. Just you fast forward to this moment, forget everything that's back there because it has no value and say, all right, what am I going to do different today? What am I going to do the same today that's been working? And, and I have this little thing with my leaders. I say, you know, do a checklist. What are, what's working? If it's working, reinforce it or at least continue doing that, that one thing. Whatever's not working, fix it. And if it can't be fixed, replace it or eliminate it. Hmm. And that's kind of a thing you go through. And there's always something like that, regardless of the size of the business. Every day, so you can sit down and look at your day and say, I can do something positive today. And whatever happened yesterday taught me a lesson. And you kind of laugh it off and you move forward. That, that's the only way you can do it. Um, it's a psychological, mental state of mind. That Because if you, if you came from someplace else, like a lot of people come from corporations to try to start their own businesses. Yeah. And they fail and they, they really get, almost they hate themselves. Yeah. Because they were they were stars at the corporation. Well, running a corporation and being an individual of you know ten thousand funded by you know stockholders if it's big enough or by investors, that's a whole different world. You really didn't have any risk of failure. You know, as long as you performed in your in your technical task, everybody was happy with you. But when you're out on, on the street, you've got your own version of whatever you did, you've got to find clients and customers. That may take two years before you get to a point where you're actually making any decent money. You may find that you decided to hire all kinds of um, the trappings, right? You've got somebody who takes your calls. You've got somebody who's going to help you with your computer. You've got somebody who's going to do something else. And you're not making enough money to pay your own way and pay your own bills. And suddenly you collapse back in and get rid of all these people because, you know, I guess I suck at business. Well, you don't suck at business. There's a way to grow businesses and it takes time mm-hmm. and it takes customers. And that wow. takes time. <laughs> Oh, man, thank you so much for giving us such insight. You know, um, you, you've given us a lot of uh, wisdom here, you know, and uh, somebody listening to you now probably like, man, I've been doing all this. I've, I've, I'm, I'm sucking and I'm sucking the egg. I'm, I'm struggling through this. And especially in this era of, um, of uh, COVID uh, resiliency and coming back, um, some people have gone through some kinds of adversity and they've done it all. But I know maybe there's one lesson that you may have learned on how to do this in times of adversity, because um, yes, yes, you, you you experience all these successes uh, in the past, and now you're in an environment which you just talked about. But during adversity, you've done everything. But but then, what do you do when you can't do do it all? Do you just keep going or there's now time to look at another career. What, what's your recommendation for, for a budding entrepreneur who is now just growing and is going through this phase of trying to be resilient in adversity? Is there anything you have to do differently when you're in a, in a place where you're between a rock and a hard place? Well, one, I would, back to the humor role, but I would, yeah. I would seek out as many people that are starting out or in your at your stage of the business or have yeah. moved on to the next stage of business mm-hmm. you can possibly seek out. And it doesn't matter if they're in your particular industry and, and, and ask them questions and ask them if they've been through scenarios like this. I mean, maybe not been COVID, but something else. 
How do they survive? You know, do they know somebody else? How do they survive? There are, there's just a mass, there's just a massive amount of information out there. I, I had clients that were high net worth clients when I was managing money. Almost all of them were self-made millionaires. Right. And almost all of them had been bankrupt at least once. There you go. <laughs> right? So they learned something from that. Mm-hmm. And, or they've been part of failed businesses and then they moved on. That's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's, that's part of the learning curve of being a business person, especially a business owner. Go out and find these people. Don't shun them and, okay. and say you want to learn these lessons because if you sit there all by yourself, I don't care how smart you are. If you sit there all by yourself in your kitchen, you know, staring at a white piece of paper you know, on the kitchen table trying to come up with the master plan that's going to turn it all around, you know, you've, you've, you've got one person, one brain focused oh. on your problem. Get out there, find other people. Look for forums that are talking about it. Look for podcasts and webinars. And, and I tell you what, every single time I listen to something or, or talk to somebody, I pick up some little thing I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I may have heard it when I was in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and it didn't apply, so I didn't think anything of it. Like, I'm, I'm listening to Rich Dad, Poor Dad all over again. Yeah. <laughs> I, read, I read that book and every other thing that came out of uh, Robert uh, Kiyosaki, right? Kiyosaki, yep. Years ago. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any money. I was in the military. I mean, I, a lot of it went right over my head. You know, yeah. I, was, I wasn't in a position to start a, start a company or anything. But I'm finding it fascinated, fascinating because I'm starting again, and I've got a whole different perspective. And the information's more valuable now, maybe, but valuable in a different way. Yeah. I actually I actually sent the link to my daughter in Australia and said, you need to listen to this book. Because as I was listening to it, I said, this is a great message for young people about the difference between being an employee and a business owner and all that stuff, the relationship sure. with money. So I would say that go out there, find, find other people like you, shake hands with them, befriend them so that they'll be comfortable being open with you and, and seek whatever information you can open source, keep a sense of humor. And at the end of the day, if it's not working out, you may have to scale back before you can scale through. Wow, scale back it for your scale through. Wow, that is that is so powerful. Thank you so much uh, for for sharing that uh, wisdom, Marty. You've been such an inspiration to me. Just learning so much from you now. I mean, I, I'm encouraging anybody that's listening now to go get nimble. You know, as as it comes out. Uh, you know, there's a lot that uh, Marty has to offer. And, you know, and through this podcast, we talk about, you know, leadership values, you know, 52 essential qualities and attributes of an organizational leader, how to transform your leadership habits in 52 weeks. And 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 we today we talked about resilience. But um, Marty probably has one lesson that he's picked up in his years of uh, success uh, in the military and in, in uh, business, that if you do have one, Marty, maybe it's also in the nimble that you want to share with us. What is the one big, biggest lesson you want us to take away um, from this uh, before we ask you to tell us more about uh, um, your organization and everything else? One big lesson that you want us to take away? Life is um, full of surprises and you can't control everything. You shouldn't try to control everything. You need to understand that your expectations are going to be challenged by the universe, by mother nature, by things out of your control. So don't take it so hard when you don't have everything under control. Don't take it so hard when you don't get perfection. Resilience is bouncing back, but also being humble means that you don't expect that your, your master plan is going to work 
perfectly. That way you won't be so upset when it doesn't work perfectly. Exactly. That's okay. It's okay to find yourself in a position where you need to change the plan or adjust or adapt. Or like I said earlier, you know, scale down in size before you scale forward. That's all okay. You know, nobody's, nobody's, nobody's really judging you. You're kind of judging yourself, which makes it, makes it you know, a, a storm within, of your own making between your ears kind of thing. So that's what I would say the biggest thing is I don't care what your endeavor is. I don't care if you're an athlete that wants to go to the Olympics or whatever. You know, don't take yourself so seriously that you seriously you know, you know, get depressed and, and concerned and then quit and just shut off. Wow, that's where the HEMA comes in. Well, that is so awesome. Well, thank you so much. Well, um, at this point, uh, Marty, please uh, let us know what you want us to know about your organization or or your book, uh, uh, Nimble, and everything else. And how can people find you? Because you have a wealth of knowledge to offer. So uh, please share with us uh, how, how to find you and what we need to learn from you uh, moving forward. Sure. Well, Be Nimble comes out uh, December 10th. It's on Amazon right now and offering it for pre-sale and has been since I think April. The uh, website, my author's website is www.martystrongbenimble.com. And I have blogs, some excerpts from the uh, book, um, some endorsements on there. You'll learn a lot about kind of my, my flavor of leadership, my style, and what other people have thought of, of my leadership and the book itself. So I would, I would just encourage everybody to go there and you know, we'll have announcements on there as it gets closer and closer and closer to coming out. But um, that's all I would ask. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a good start. Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Marty. I really enjoyed uh, talking about resilience and the wealth of knowledge you've shared with us. And for everybody that's listening, I want to encourage you, go be a part of you know what? Uh, what Marty's done. He he he's making transformation through uh, his leadership, and I encourage you also, besides the nimble, also to get onto Amazon, find the fifty-two essential qualities and attributes of an organizational leader, how to transform your leadership habits in fifty-two weeks. We talk about all kinds of values that you need to excel, and remember, whatever you do, don't forget to lead the change. Take care and be well. Bye bye. Well, global leaders, thank you for listening to this episode of the Global Reach Leadership Forum. If you have learned something today, please like us on Facebook. Visit our website at www.globalreachleaders.com to leave a comment or a question and share this episode with others. Until next week, remember to lead the change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.